satellite communications, when you're talking on a radio, oftentimes that effect is coming from space. Uh, positioning navigation and timing, your GPS or your timing on a lot of Army equipment, that's an effect that comes from space. Missile warning is an effect from space. If you look at the most recent conflict we've, we've had uh, over the last several years, uh, we really have not been challenged in, in any one domain. A future conflict against a near-peer adversary is going to be very different. There's no question that we will be operating in a denied, degraded, disrupted space operating environment. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the MWI podcast. I'm John Amble, editorial director at MWI. And in this episode, Major Jake Moraldi is joined by four guests, each of whom is part of the Army's space operations enterprise. Now, it was pretty big news last year when discussion about standing up a U.S. Space Force began. But the U.S. military has been involved in space for a long time. Most people know that the Air Force has considerable responsibilities in the space domain. But the Army does too. It has space operations officers and has had them for 20 years. It even has a space brigade. But what does the Army, the nation's primary ground combat service, actually do in space? A lot, and you'll hear about it in this episode. Before we get to that, a couple notes. First, MWI is publishing new articles, research, and podcast episodes every day. And the absolute best way to keep up with all of that is by following us on social media. So find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And we love getting feedback, so that's also a great way to get in touch. And second, as always, what you hear in this episode are the views of the participants and don't represent those of West Point, the Army, or any other agency of the U.S. government. All right, enjoy the episode. Gentlemen, thank you for coming here and talking to uh, us here at the Modern War Institute today. We have a big group in the room, um, so before we get into any questions, I just want to go around one by one and have everybody introduce themselves. So, sir, if you'll if you'll lead us off. So, I am Colonel Eric Little. I'm the commander of the First Space Brigade. We're based out of Fort Carson, Colorado. Uh, I've been a functional area 40 space operations officer for about 12 years now. Uh, prior to going into space, I was an Army aviator for 12 years. Hi, I'm Jerry Pepin. I'm the acting director of the Army Space Personnel Development Office, and we oversee the development of our FA-40s. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Russ Niles, and I'm the Brigade Operations Officer for the Army's First Space Brigade. I've been an FA-40 for just over seven years now. Prior to that, I was an Armor Officer for 12 years. My name is Captain Arthur Tyson. I'm currently a functionary of 40, stationed out of Redstone Arsenal. I work with the uh, uh, TRADOC Capability Manager, Space and High Altitude, out of the uh, Future Warfare Center down in uh, um, the SMDC, Space and Missile Defense Center. Uh, before I was uh, an FA-40, I was a, a, a branched uh, ordinance as well as a, a history major. So I'm not a STEM degree holder, but I'm a current FA-40. All right. So because people are are maybe not super familiar especially in the the army's role in space operations i want to start at a very basic level and to to start at that level i want to look at what space units exist in the army this is sort of a new thing that the army is getting involved in at least in a formal sense so what units exist to handle space as a domain in the united states army so i'll take that first question as far as operational units, the, the primary operational unit in the Army is the Army's 1st Space Brigade. The 1st Space Brigade is the more or less the hub for Army space operations. 
Within the 1st Space Brigade, there are three multi-component battalions. Uh, those battalions are the 1st Space Battalion, which is our active duty space battalion, the 2nd Space Battalion, which is a reserve component space battalion, and then the 3rd Battalion is the 117th Space Battalion, which is an associated unit from the Colorado National Guard that partners with the 1st Space Brigade to execute our mission. Outside of the brigade, the Intelligence, Information, Cyber, Electronic Warfare, and Space Battalion, otherwise known as I2, the I2Q's Battalion, is a critical unit in the multi-domain task force and a centerpiece for the, how the Army will conduct multi-domain operations in the future. In addition, there are space support elements assigned organically to the Army units at the division, Army, and theater levels. So, sir, Colonel Lowe, you are the commander of First Space Brigade. Can you sort of tell us what you understand your role to be as a Space Brigade? Again, what's kind of the, what you're attempting to do as the space component of the Army? Sure. So the mission of the First Space Brigade really is to provide uh, trained and ready space forces in order to conduct uh, all of the space mission areas uh, in support of space operations uh, for combatant commanders, for U.S. government agencies, and also for international partners. Uh, so it, we do that. Really, the brigade has four mission areas that, uh, that we get after. The first mission area uh, covers both theater missile warning and strategic missile warning, and I'll break those down a little bit further. But uh, theater missile warning, uh, we have four detachments uh, dispersed globally, uh, one in Korea, one in Japan, one in Qatar, and, uh, and one in Italy. And they are really leveraging overhead, uh, overhead persistent infrared satellites. So satellites overhead, the, the Sibirs constellation, the DSP constellation, uh, and I don't want to get too technical, uh, but those satellites are basically looking for hot spots on the Earth. Uh, and our JTAGs detachments are the, the first units to detect and the first to report a missile launch. Uh, so really critical mission, uh, really critical space mission. Uh, the other uh, second uh, piece to missile warning is more of a strategic missile warning, and that is a land-based capability. Uh, so the ANTPY-2 radar, it's a, uh, a land-based, very, very capable X-band radar. Uh, we have five uh, missile defense batteries dispersed globally, and, uh, and those batteries are really doing the same thing. They're looking uh, for missile launches from, uh, from various regions of, of the globe. Uh, and, and they are also some of the first to detect and, and first to report some of those missile launches. Uh, so those are the two mission areas we've got really in the, in the missile warning arena. Uh, a, a third mission area that we have is what I like to call our, our space support to the warfighter. Um, probably the broadest mission area that we have throughout the brigade, um, and we do this through Army space support teams. Uh, so we, and we have them, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Now has mentioned, we have active component, reserve component, and a relationship with the National Guard. Uh, we have Army space support teams throughout all three of these battalions. And, uh, and what the Army space support teams do is they are a jack of all trade um, with regard to space mission areas. So, you know, common effects from space that people don't realize where they're oftentimes coming from space, satellite communications, when you're talking on a radio, oftentimes that effect is coming from space. Uh, positioning, navigation, and timing, your GPS, or your timing on a lot of Army equipment, um, that's an effect that comes from space. Missile warning that I touched on briefly is an effect from space. Uh, so these Army space support teams are proficient in all of these mission areas, um, and they're, 
they're trained up, but, but the benefit they have is, is uh, before coming over to Army Space, they learn the importance of fires and how to apply fires. They learn how to plan as an Army planner. They understand maneuver and land warfare. So they bridge the gap from the technical side uh, to the practical application of all those effects. And we embed the Army Space Support Teams uh, with Army Divisions, with Army Corps at the theater level at uh, U.S. Army Pacific or U.S. Army Europe. Uh, for major exercise and contingencies, uh, we will uh, embed Army Space Support Teams with these, uh, with these Army formations. Uh, so very, very important mission, uh, to, again, to bridge that gap between the technical side and the practical application. Uh, the, the fourth and, and final mission area that we have within uh, 1st Space Brigade is what we call space situational awareness. And this is the mission area. Uh, so these, the soldiers assigned to our, um, our space situational awareness detachments are very, very proficient with the electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, so they understand signals of interest um, and they can uh, go into great detail uh, with regard to the, to the spectrum and they just have a, a, a very robust understanding, uh, both with offensive measures and defensive measures that they can take uh, with regard to the, to the spectrum. And that is uh, the four mission areas of, of First Space Brigade. How does Army Space Operations interact or, or dovetail or enhance the space operations of the rest of the Joint Force or, or the interagency elements that, that operate in space? How does First, uh, First Brigade interact with that? So it's, uh, I mean, we're an Army formation and we support the Army, uh, but I would tell you there's tremendous value that we have uh, to the Joint Force. Uh, so the Air Force really has the preponderance of, of space um, expertise and, and capabilities, but the Army um, is extremely valued because of that understanding of, of how to plan operations and understanding of, of maneuver and the application of fires. Uh, so some of our other services don't have both the the understanding of, of maneuver as well as the technical side of space. Uh, so the value we bring to not only the Army but to the Joint Force is uh, is pretty significant. Um, and I, I will mention, so with the recent stand-up of U.S. Space Command, certainly brought a lot of attention uh, to space in, this, in the space domain. Um, it is an absolutely incredible time to be working in, in the space domain. Uh, but really, and it's a reflection of, of the environment that we're in, uh, the, the stand-up of Space Command is. There's no question, and you'll hear our senior leaders talk about how the space domain is now a warfighting domain. Um, certainly, there's, there's no question that it is a warfighting domain if you look at, at how our adversaries are posturing or, or potential adversaries are posturing. Uh, but there's also no question that we do not want to take uh, a fight into space. So. Uh, certainly the last thing we want to do, but it is necessary based on uh, what we're seeing from our, our potential adversaries that we are postured in a, in a position really of power. Uh, should that day arise, we're, we're in a position to, to respond. Great. So next question I have is specifically about the people that populate the space force, so to speak, the first space brigade and the elements that are involved uh, you know, at a division level or core level that interact in space. And those are people who are functional area 40, FA-40, space operations officers. So I'm curious what their duties are and what the accessions and training process looks like for those folks. 
So as far as the, the duties or responsibilities of those FA-40s or what role do the FA-40 officers play, uh, Colonel Little just touched on this a bit during, uh, <clears throat> during the last discussion. But really, FA-40s are trained to understand the technical aspects of space and then be able to relate that, uh, relate that technical side of space and those space capabilities to the warfighter. Critical to being that FA-40 is understanding maneuver and fire. Um, it is very important for FA-40s to first surf in their basic branch, as this provides them a perspective uh, of ground operations. And how, and then, and then that through that training, they have to understand that technical aspect and can bridge then those space capabilities and relate those to best uh, or, or to understand how to best support uh, ground combat. So obviously, in order to become an FA-40, to have that technical expertise, there's a robust training program that, that one has to undertake, right? If I'm an infantry officer and I try to assess, assess into FA-40, I imagine that's a pretty significant training pipeline. I'm curious what that pipeline looks like. I think, Captain Tyson, you probably have the best feel for how that progression works. Um, yes, I, I can touch on that. So there's a, it's, there, what training courses you take will depend on what job you're ultimately going to go to. Uh, however, there are two main courses of training that you will take when you're initially an FA-40. Uh, the idea is to you know complete this training prior to arriving at your first assignment. Uh, sometimes it'll happen before or after that. So the two main courses are, firstly, is a Space 200, and that is an Air Force course offered at Peterson Air Force Base. It's uh, very science-heavy. So during that course, you'll go over a lot of things like orbital mechanics, orbital dynamics, a lot of the EM spectrum is covered. So very, very kind of science heavy in Air Force on that. There's also a project where you build a CubeSats and go over to the uh, Air Force Academy and do a little work there. So you do get to, you do get to do some interesting things at that course. And, and, and uh, it's very, uh, very good. You, you uh, do a little joint flavor in there because typically there's j not just Army, it's Air Force. And uh, during my class, there was actually Navy and Marines as well. So you get a little idea of like kind of the joint nature of space involved with that. Uh, the second course is uh, Army specific, and it's the uh, it's a space officer, uh, space operations officer qualification course, or SOCQC for short, as, as we most know it as. Now, it's a course that's uh, uh, several months long. It's offered in Colorado Springs, and it covers more of the Army flavor on space. So it will cover a, um, a some science as well. We do get in, in depth with the uh, like the EM spectrum. Some orbital stuff happens. Uh, we get into more detail about you know what satellites are providing, different payloads, what it does. We also go in a little bit into the acquisition process and how uh, space assets are acquired. And during that uh, course, it's a uh, really exciting. Uh, it isn't always offered, but during my course, and typically they try to do, uh, there's a two trips we take, one to the West Coast and one to the East Coast. So our West Coast trip included uh, SpaceX, as well as we went to some different Navy facilities and saw uh, some of the satellite operations centers there. Uh, we went to SpaceX. Uh, we went to um, uh, Boeing. And, uh, and, and Northrop Grumman as well, actually in LA, Los Angeles there. So we got to see some satellites being built. So we really got to see some very, very unique things. And then during the uh, East Coast trip, uh, we went to the Pentagon and uh, did, uh, sat down with some FA-40s there. And they kind of explained to us where, what being an FA-40 is at their level and what they do. Um, as well as we uh, took a trip to the John Hopkins uh, Applied Physics Lab. And uh, that's where we got to see the same operation center that when uh, the um, the uh, uh, the satellite went and saw the uh, the the, spa the spacecraft went and took pictures of Pluto. That was their their operation center that they had there to see that. So that was pretty neat. And they showed us how all that goes and 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 how how their operations work. And they took us all over campus actually and showed us all their different programs they have where they build the satellites, their clean rooms and things like that. So we we really got a really good experience there. And then we came back to Colorado Springs and uh, kind of finished up the 
course, we did some, you know, like any other uh, military course, we had a lot of uh, practical exercises, and we really dug into what it means to be an actual FA-40 and look at uh, space operations from the Army point of view. Uh, after that, th those are typically the two main courses you'll take as an FA-40. Uh, what you'll take after that, and most will uh, do additional training, it will depend on your job. For me personally, I also took the uh, Tactical Space Operations course, uh, and that course was really GIS heavy. It was essentially all GIS, working with the GIS software and learning how to, how to map and do imagery and create flyover data and shape files and all, all that kind of stuff. If you're going to be a JTAGS operator, there's a JTAGS course, there's uh, space control courses, there are... Uh, Air Force courses available as well. Um, additional ones, additional orbital mechanics and dynamics. Uh, there's uh, courses on you know rocketry and, and different science things like that. There's also a Space 300 course that typically a lot of the senior FA40s will take. So it, 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 the training really never stops. But that's typically where you start out. So I have to ask before we head to the next question: Did you have a background in anything space related before you started the FA40 pipeline? Formally, none whatsoever. In college, I had done some. Neat, I took some astronomy classes and I built some satellite models that were probably completely out of scale, but it was fun and I did it. But as far as having any prior formal space uh, experience, zero. And now, after running through the pipeline, you're like a space guru. You got the whole thing. A lot down. more. I wouldn't. I'll never say I'm a guru, but a lot more science. I'm a lot more science savvy than I ever thought I'd be. That's great. Yeah, I, I can't imagine the amount of uh, the the learning curve to get up to speed. Uh, through all the stuff that you just listed. I'm, my, my head is swimming a little bit from all, all of the work that you had to do to get to that point. Um, so I want to transition quick. We talked in the opening couple of questions about some of the core competencies that you know Army space is meant to enable the Army to do or, or interact with in a meaningful way. And I'm curious what, sir, your mission is and how it pertains to uh, multi-domain operations. How does Army Space support MDO? Okay, yeah, that is a, that's a great question. Uh, the Army is certainly uh, all about multi-domain operations right now, and uh, Army Space certainly has a, a vital role in multi-domain operations. I think it's important really to start uh, with the description of the environment. You know, if, if you look at uh, the, the most recent conflict we've, we've had uh, over the last several years, uh, we really have not been challenged in, in any one domain. Um, that, uh, you know, a future conflict against a near-peer adversary is going to be very different. Uh, so th there's, there's no question that we will be operating in a denied, degraded, disrupted space operating environment. And what I mean by that is, you know, the the uh, space effects we talked about earlier, so effects like satellite communications, positioning, navigation, and timing, where we're getting, you know, your GPS navigation, you're getting timing for all kinds of pieces of equipment that we that we rely upon, uh, overhead imagery through uh, through overhead ISR, missile warning that we talked about, all of those um, things that that uh, we expect to be there are are absolutely going to be challenged against a near peer, uh, so. Multi-domain operations gets after that. So, you know, the way I, I like to describe multi-domain operations is, um, you know, complete periods of, of superiority or dominance in, in any one domain, you know, air superiority, space superiority uh, against a near-peer adversary is not going to happen. So what multi-domain operations is about is choosing the time and, the, and choosing the place of superiority in one particular domain uh, by setting the conditions and providing effects from a, a, a separate domain or multiple domains. So 
Uh, what I would expect to see is, you know, we're going to have a period where we need air superiority, space, um, and, and perhaps space and cyber combined is going to provide an effect or effects, you know, at, at that chosen place and, and that point in time to enable the air domain to, to, to get after whatever it is that they need to get after. Uh, so it's not just about one domain, it's not just about space, it's not about cyber, it's, it's about really a synchronization of, of all of those domains and again identifying uh, the time and place uh, of our choosing where we need to be superior in, in any one particular domain. Great. So as space has become a more integral part of what the Army does and what the, the entire defense establishment, the joint and interagency uh, establishment has to do, we obviously have to build that core, right? Captain Tyson talked about the training program to get people into space operations. So, and I'll turn this over to you, Mr. Pepin. What's sort of the state of the space operations officer core, the, the group of people who are charged with this mission to, you know, enact those core competencies and support multi-domain oper operations in the way that Colonel Little was just talking about? How big is it? What's the accessions process look like? How are they managed in their careers? Sure. Right now, uh, FA-40 is celebrating its 20th anniversary. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that. So one of the objectives we had this week is to educate cadets on what we do in space. So we actually got around to visit a couple classrooms here, your uh, space science class and your GIS class in the geography department. Um, right now, uh, FA-40 is uh, 384 officers strong, and we're ever-growing. Um, with the stand-up of U.S. Space Command, we see, you know, quite a few new billets coming on. And uh, there are a lot of emerging requirements out there, uh, especially with the IQs battalion, in both in uh, uh, Indo-PACOM and in, uh, in Europe. Um, as for the accession process, uh, we're actually here this week uh, on a two-prong approach. We have a, a couple talent management goals that we want uh, to uh, accomplish, and one of those is education. And of course, we did talk to the cadets out on the field and um, in the classroom. But uh, you know, it's kind of surprising when you talk to them uh, and you look at all the static displays out here on the plane this week, they don't realize that they use space capabilities. Almost everything out there has some sort of space capability on it. And uh, it's good to s sit there and talk to them, and I think we're getting the message out now. Again, 20 years we've been around, and uh, a lot of people think we're brand new. So uh, it, it's pretty interesting to get the cadet's perspective. Um, uh, the other thing is uh, we're out here to, to show them, you know, for talent management, that there are other opportunities out there for them once they reach their four-year point. Uh, there are 12 other functional areas. Of course, uh, us being the best, that's why we're here, right? Uh, this is the first time we've actually uh, had space operations out and have a tent out on the plane. So a couple firsts uh, this week. Uh, we're also here to promote our uh, uh, pilot program. It's called uh, AFAT, or Assured Functional Area Transfer. And what we're looking for is uh, Again, it's uh, talent management. We're looking for uh, cadets with a space-related uh, STEM degree uh, that uh, want to utilize that sometime in, in their career. And uh, what we're asking them to do is uh, think about us and uh, uh, go to their basic branch for four years. And at the four-year point, if we select them, uh, they can come over to us. 
but we really want them to get that basic branch experience. Um, so with our program, uh, we're only going to select 10 to 20 cadets. Um, and we're still in the process of getting final approval, so we're asking them to sign up with us. And once we get that final approval, probably next week, uh, everything looks favorable for next week. But uh, when we get that final approval, we're going to narrow down that list and do interviews. And from that, uh, we're going to uh, select 10 to 20 cadets to join us at some point in their career, possibly at the four-year point. Well, it's great. It's it's an awesome opportunity for cadets to interact with something certainly that, that I as an Army major only have a passing understanding of. So it's good that they're getting that early. Um, I'm curious, sir, as, uh, again, the branch has been around for quite a while, but it's continuing to grow. What do you sort of foresee as the future of Army space operations? Does it continue to grow? Um, does it become a more dominant part in the way we think about things? How do you see that future element of Army space? Yeah, so that there's absolutely no question. We're going to, I mean, we've seen growth and we're going to continue to see growth. Uh, uh, I mentioned earlier, the stand-up of U.S. Space Command is just one indicator um, that we really are, we, we need to get after space. Uh, so ha having worked very closely with the Air Force in the past, I, I had mentioned uh, they value what Army FA-40s bring to the fight. The, you know, the understanding that we have on the, on the maneuver and fires and, and planning side, uh, combine that with, with, you know, the understanding that, that uh, we gain on the technical side of space, um, it, it's just uh, valued tremendously. Uh, the stand-up of U.S. Space Command is going to provide opportunities at, at the higher ech echelons of, of the rank pyramid, uh, and, and in order to get there, you have to, you have, to have a solid base. Uh, so that's why, you know, we're here at, uh, at the Military Academy talking to cadets early on uh, because it's important that we identify quality talent, those who are interested in, in space, uh, identify them early. Uh, and right now, the, the earliest they could come on board as, as an FA-40 Army space guy or gal is at the four-year mark after they've served in their, in their uh, respective branch. Um, but, but that's not the only opportunity. They can come on board. Um, any, you know, I came on board as an FA-40 after 14 years in my basic branch. Uh, so there's opportunities through the, the Volunteer uh, Transfer Incentive Program, or, or the VTIP. That's really how we assess all of our FA-40s right now. Um, but there is absolutely, to, to really get after your question, there's absolutely no question it's a growth industry, um, and uh, it's just an exciting time to be in space. Yeah, it sounds very much like space is, a, like you said, a growth industry, something that the Army will be doing a lot more of in the future. Well, I appreciate gentlemen, you guys sitting down and, and talking to me today and kind of illuminating what it is that space operations officers do in the Army. Hey, thanks again for listening to the MWI podcast. One last thing before you go, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And if you're enjoying the conversations we feature, please take a second and give it a rating or leave a review. It really, really helps new listeners who have an interest in the topics we cover to find us. Thanks again.